0: Hey guys, I'm Sam Vasquez, and this is Fall Risk. Welcome back to another episode of Fall Risk, where we talk about anything and everything skydiving. I am your host, Sam Vasquez, and on today's episode, we have everyone's favorite Aussie, the one and only Richard Burt Taylor. Say hi. Hi there. Hi, hello. (laughs) So before we get into it, uh, before we get into the nitty gritty, I would love to hear more about you in your own words. Um, So give me a little backstory on on you. Give me a backstory about how you got into jumping.
1: Sure. um, So I I started off in Australia uh, many years ago at at a little drop zone and kind of picked up the skills, um, moved to New Zealand where I lived for a few years, uh, met up with some great people there, kept jumping, uh, met my now wife and... Uh, We were doing sort of a long distance, and I decided to process my visa to come here to the U.S., went back to Australia, did a lot of jumping in a little um, club drop zone called Eldersley. A big shout out to the guys there. Uh, Awesome place. Um, Taught taught me a lot of skills. Uh, Then moved out here to the U.S., and while I wasn't allowed to work processing my visa, went and did my tandem rating uh, down in Alabama with some uh, interesting cats down there. (laughs) And uh, yeah, since then, came back and did a bunch of jumping at uh, Twin Cities um, and then the other places around there too. Uh, managed to have a stint down in Omaha, uh, awesome little little drop zone called Lincoln Sports Parachute Club. Um, managed to do a bunch of tandems there and join up with a the club there. And uh, i tell you what, that was, that was great timing too. Some really good TIs, some really good vibes there. And uh, since moving back here to Minnesota, not too much around. So occasionally I take the two and a half hour trek down to Twin Cities to come and jump with you crazy dudes.
0: Is it really two and a half hours?
1: Yeah. yeah. I
0: feel like I knew that information, but somehow lost it.
1: It is the middle of Minnesota. And it's like, I guess it's halfway between Fargo and Minneapolis and sort of, you know, where Skydive Twin Cities is. And so it's, yeah, it's tough. But that's why... Uh, Doing the pilot's license, which I'm sure we'll get into, has helped out to be able to skip down there, and that's a pipe dream to be able to fly in to drop to skydive. What a what a cool concept!
0: Yeah, that would cut. Would it cut the uh, distance in half or like the time?
1: Less than half. So in a in a in a Cessna 150, you know, doing less than 90 knots, I can be there in in you know, 40 minutes. So yeah, and it looks cool coming in in a plane the size of a go kart and landing on that in front of everyone. (laughs)
0: very impressive so how many jumps are you currently at like what's your jump number
1: you know what i i I was thinking through that and i actually honestly don't know um i got pied while i was down there doing tandems for my 2000 Mm -hmm. so somewhere more than 2000 that was before omaha (laughs) and uh you know knocking out sort of 10 15 tandems a weekend uh for the majority of the year so um i don't know but maybe three thousand would be a Reasonable okay. stab at it
0: a rough estimate. Okay. No, that's fair. That's fair. So what year did you make your first skydive?
1: I was trying to work that out and I don't entirely know. Um, we, we did one in Tasmania, which is super rare. So I'm from Tasmania originally the island off the Southeast coast of Australia, and there is really no skydiving. Occasionally they bring a, bring a plane down from the mainland, um, sign up and you can do a tandem. And I did that on a pretty white out couldn't see a thing day so buddy and buddy (laughs) myself, we went up in this little rickety Cessna and uh and lobbed out and I'm pretty sure I didn't see the ground until we opened the parachute so uh it it was pretty (laughs) sketchy but definitely something definitely something that was cool yeah and then I I guess put put it back in my mind for a few years and uh we were sitting on a couch a friend of mine Dan Dan Schweiker who I was living with at the time um We were hungover one day and we realized that we were wasting wasting our life going out and chasing ladies and getting drunk. And we thought, well, we should do something productive. So we went and did the course in the middle of this place called Gatton in the, in the middle of the desert at a little, again, Cessna drop zone. And I think he, he did about six or seven jumps and decided it wasn't for him. And and I decided the opposite. So that was the start.
0: Hmm, Very cool. So you don't remember the year? You're you're one of the uh uh or the one of the members of the minority in skydiving because I feel like most skydivers like have every single one of those dates like down, you know, like they're almost anal about having all those those dates down. So you're definitely uh kind of in the minority there if you don't remember.
1: Yeah, milestones for me are, are a weird thing. Some of them are are just insignificantly but highly memorable, and others are just mm-hmm. they're just numbers, right? So like I said, the first one in in Tasmania, I couldn't even remember what year it probably around somewhere around 2003 uh doing the actual course i'm gonna guess somewhere around like 2007 um but again after i did my course i, I kind of gave up for a bit there wasn't it wasn't the most fun drop zone uh, that i'd learned out. kept getting bumped for tandems and didn't feel like i was part of it and it wasn't until i met a group called team carnage self-named obviously um <laughs> sort of took me under their wing and, and really put me in the middle of a lot of mayhem and, and really taught me some cool stuff until i really started picking that up and so i guess that's that's the year around 2012 that i feel like i really did start
0: wow i mean i feel like i feel like this is i mean this is all new super new information for me this is a conversation you and i have never had but how, like have you told people have you told people in and around this area like that story like does anybody else know how you guys how you got started in this or is this relatively new information for everybody
1: not particularly like to be honest you, you get pieces and bits but a lot of i find a lot of people don't particularly care i mean i hate to say it but it's like comes up in conversation hey when was your first jump and to be honest with you it's way more fun to just make up a different story every time when you're telling someone (laughs) (laughs) way more entertaining (laughs) and then you have to keep thinking like what did i tell who and it's kind of a game in the end (laughs) if anyone really wants to know old problem it's not a secret but it's definitely a game
0: so what you're saying is what you just said probably isn't true it's like one of 10 different versions. That,
1: that was the first time I think I was actually probably truthful <laughs> from start to finish. So look at you. You're Aww. special, Sam. Yeah, I'm
0: so special. I feel great now. It's awesome. <laughs> there you go. So, so what are you currently flying? What kind of uh, canopy? At
1: 149. Super happy with it. Um, you know, that was a story in itself too. I was jumping uh, with about 100 jumps in New Zealand uh, and super lucky to get on the plane with a lot of the guys that uh, tested the Icarus canopies. Uh, and Gyro mm-hmm. lived in the, in the local town uh, in Auckland. So it was really cool. They invited us down to the factory, which was just literally a house that they would converted into making canopies. And they'd have different speakers mm-hmm. would come in, some really cool people from all over the world, um, champions that were picking up rigs or visiting, and they would do these little uh, seminars, I guess, and show you how they were made and everything else. So I was all lined up to get a Sapphire and that was kind of my going to be my next rig for the next thousand jumps or a couple of thousand jumps. And uh, talking to the people in, in Icarus, they're like, you know what, this is a much better rig and we'll show you how to fly it and we'll, we'll progress you into it. And, and I think you're going to love it and have it forever. And, you know, I don't think they're, they're wrong. Um, you know, everyone's super mm-hmm. excited about downsizing. They get really pumped about going faster the thing about a crossfire 149 and me being a fatter lad i can get that thing pumping pretty well and, and i'm it's enough to scare me um, i can yeah. i can wingsuit in it i can you can you know keep up with everyone but it's not mm-hmm. uh, i've never felt really endangered in either so i just sometimes you find the right size and you know people have told me downsize and do this and try this and i'm like you know what
2: yeah.
1: pretty happy pretty happy
0: that's that's kind of how I feel about canopy stuff too as well. Like I want to go fast and have fun, but I don't want to have to work so hard that I'm – you know what I mean? Like I don't want to work – I don't want to work that hard. I want to just like go fast, have fun, like keep up with everybody, but not not like go way outside of the realm of like having to work super hard, you know?
1: Absolutely. And you can you can scare yourself more than anything else. Andreas, who, you know, jumped there at Twin Cities for a while, he was showing me uh yeah. harness 360 turns to come in and land on it. Yeah. And that last 90 degrees – uh, because it has such a low recovery arc uh, you know I said it doesn't mm-hmm. terrify me but that that was pretty close to being yeah. the scariest thing in my life when you're looking at the ground and you're you're not sure but it whips you out nicely and safely and fast yeah but I've, I've gone away from 360s because I choose life and I don't <laughs> I don't want to bounce off the ground so um yeah yep. that's just where I'm at in this part of my life
0: yeah I totally feel yeah I'm I'm exactly the same like um Andreas and like Andreas is the one who showed me harness turns too as well. Like it's pretty much all I ever do anymore. I don't really touch my fronts. I don't really do toggle turns anymore. It's mostly just, um, harness input and it's, it's been awesome cause it's, it, you can build up a lot of speed and have a lot of fun, but it's not so, um, it's not so drastic of changing your canopy. You're really just kind of feeling it. And like, I'm not, I'm not the most eloquent when it comes to, uh, uh, talking about canopy stuff, but I I feel you. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. It's just scary enough to where it's fun, but not so scary that you're working super hard or
1: right. you know, overloading
0: and yourself too much.
1: I, I have realized I'm relatively lazy as a human being and that's fine. Um, <laughs> and having this rig with a longer, uh, the longer bridle, so I can put this same canopy on, on the uh, wingsuit and I feel safe with it too. You know, I can throw out that pilot and it catches behind me and I, i haven't ever really felt stuck with it and i'm not changing a rig every five minutes you know i feel like sometimes when you've got a good combination of things don't mess with it and when you see people yeah. like rushing to switch canopies to try something else to to get that extra mm-hmm. half a mile an hour i'm just like hey credit to you do it safely but not for me
0: yeah if it's not broke don't fix it right
1: <laughs> well, kind of yeah
0: all right so I, I mean, I already know the answer to this question. Have you skydived in more, more than one country, obviously, right? Yeah. Um, how – do you know how many countries you've skydived in? Is it just the two or is it um, – are there others?
1: Yeah, really, it's just the two. I mean, I had a had a try at a few other countries and ended up just with bad luck. And it was almost like the world telling me that, you know, it wasn't meant to be. Um, I've jumped up in Canada, <laughs> I guess, if that counts. Um, but, yeah, I –
0: That counts. I
1: was driving up to Toronto – and just hit a storm, and I was trying to jump in Chicago, completely went, weathered out. Tried to jump, tried to jump in 15 different places. It feels like, and every single one of them was just awful. It wasn't until the very last day they had the Skyvan up in Canada, and they they took me out and showed me a heck of a good time. So, um, you know, Toronto has a has a nice little sweet place in my heart for launching big gainers out the back of a little plane. That that's something that for the first time you. <laughs> You don't forget very easy. New uh-huh. Zealand was super cool as a as a country too because it felt like each drop zone was entirely different. Up in Auckland, you could mm-hmm. see the east and west coast of the country. So when you're sitting up in a in a nice XL, you're not sure if it's going to fall out of the sky or not. Um, but you're out there looking at both coasts on a blue sky day. It's it's pretty pretty amazing. And we would travelled down to the boogies uh, in the South Island, and you know you're, you're flying up around five six thousand meter mountains. Um, you know, looking at these, these tops at, on opening, um, you know, over mm-hmm. at the at the ocean and through the vineyards and the, and the, these just incredible scenery it was just, I feel very lucky to be able to experience all that.
0: That's pretty rad. I mean, like uh, the only other people I really know that have had extensive experience jumping in places like that are Noel and Andreas. And they have very similar things to say about it as what, like, as what you just, uh, what you just talked about. Like it's, it's an, it's an experience that not a lot of people are going to have and it's so surreal. Right. Uh, cause it's just not what we're used to, you know, like it's some day.
1: There's, there's, it. there's things with it too, that make it more, more of an experience than I guess I realized at the time. So we were heading down to a boogie uh, called good vibes down in, um, in the uh, Nelson, which is the North part of the South Island. And, um, we were going to take the plane down from Auckland. And we just, we got weathered out. There was like a 20, 30 knot wind from the south. So we made the call that we weren't going to fly the plane down because it was going to be too long. So we're like, let's hang out. And uh, this was one of the first times I'd met Gyro uh, from Icarus. And, um, you know, first thing he did was gave me, a basically the biggest glass of red wine I've ever seen. And we, we started off on an adventure <laughs> in town and uh, just turned it into a crazy crazy night um, of just meeting really some of the coolest people you've ever met, right? And then Mm -hmm. we all get on the plane, freezing cold, flying down. And then I kind of think back at this time, I had like 25 jumps. So it wasn't really like it was. I wasn't really that experienced. And you're on this plane, freezing for two hours. Then you have to get on a rig and jump into a site you've never seen before, surrounded by vineyards and Mm -hmm. swamps and and launch yourself out and and safely land and you know after a kind of a big night <laughs> had on the town it wasn't terrifying at all but thinking back on it it probably could have been
0: <laughs> i mean i mean hindsight's 2020 20, right you know when you're when you're a young buck and you're there's like a certain level of like invincibility and you're flying by the seat of your pants like sometimes sometimes we we throw caution to the wind in those situations and then we look back on it and we're like
2: <laughs> You're right.
0: maybe I should have just been a little bit more concerned about what it was we were doing that. I think everybody has that. I think
1: everybody yeah, should. I would say so. I for sure do. But that was what was cool about places like good vibes where, you know, every year felt like it was a whole different boogie and that that's really fun, yeah. you know? And so you'd go down there and meet these amazing people. And at the time jumping with Americans and, and Germans and, you know, the Swiss, mm-hmm. they're all there and they all bought a whole different toolbox of of skills and and knowledge and just to sit around the campfire listening to it was just an incredible opportunity as a young skydiver with very very few jumps to to pick up on things
0: that's super cool that's awesome we you you touched a little bit on this already um about how much different uh an event in that part of the world uh, is from an event say here in Minnesota or even at one of the bigger drop zones in the south. What else about jumping in different countries changes versus here? Um, like there's not there's not a lot of people in this area, at least in our area in Skydive Twin Cities area, where they're jumping a lot in other countries. So it's kind of a unique perspective to hear from someone who's had both of those different types of experiences and can kind of compare and contrast um, what the environment is like what the jump scene is like, you know, the fun jumper scene, like that kind of stuff. So can you elaborate at all on how things maybe are are different than they are here? Like just say, for example, in New Zealand, you know, as a fun jumper.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, so the skydiving school in New Zealand was a really interesting um, place to have. So you had a bunch of people coming through that had paid their money to, to get their first 200 jumps, learn about everything and then go into the big wide world and, and, um, know start applying this stuff and that was um that was interesting because it was all business for a bunch of those guys so we're out there it's our weekend we've got jobs we're doing stuff we get to get together and 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 basically be a bunch of idiots on the weekend and you had that (laughs) you had that almost confrontation with a few of them that were trying to you know they were there for a reason and i can respect that now but it was definitely a different perspective when you're going to that you had again the other guys that were pretty cool. There were doing a lot of the testing jumps for things like the Petras and uh, a lot of the Icarus canopies. They were mm-hmm. very very laid back, but then when it came to it, very business like too. And I had trouble like adjusting to that um, because again I was there for a different reason entirely. So it was kind of cool to watch the professionalism as needed in a place that you know really for me was a was a fun fun laid back uh, club so mm-hmm. there's that perspective um you know uh, lucky enough to be part of the wingsuiting competition i think it was the second wingsuit competition australia held um out at scott of Um so i threw my name in the hat and went in the competition and there was no reason i should have been there i think i was very new to wingsuiting um not a chance of finishing in the top 30 let alone you know not on the bottom five uh and again that was another one of those People were there to have fun they came from all over the place they paid their money but the top five or ten were there for a reason you know they're not sitting around the fire in the evening you know they're out getting this sitting ready for the next day um very very mm-hmm. different to i guess uh you know some of the places here in the midwest at least i think there is a lot more of a social yeah. factor here people come here for a reason so a little different in that regards i got invited to a an event called funny farm light so in australia they hold this thing called funny Farm. A, um a fairly yeah. well-known yeah, australian skydiver uh-huh. he, his parents own a farm in the middle of nowhere and uh he comes back from i believe he was jumping in switzerland and and that's yeah. it's a heck of a good time so the one year we was that we were there they ran a funny farm light which is when they invited People with a lot less experience than they typically would out the week before and ran a whole mm-hmm. series of camps it was incredible like one of the best party scenes you you had but at the same time you were to <laughs> learn and uh, a, yeah. cu- a couple of the coaches there you know they point blank called me out on stuff that i thought i had uh when it came to like uh angling on my back um i thought i was okay and then when you put yourself yeah. in a group of people like that, you realize you're absolutely just a novice. You have no idea what you're doing, and they um, mm-hmm. they were pretty blunt. You know, hey, you said you could do this, and you could, you can't. You need to step back, and you need to work on the basics before you jump with the big boys. And I guess in a highly ego-driven sport, that stings. Yeah. But they weren't wrong. Yeah. But at the same time, after after your ego hurt, they kind of dusted you off and said, look. We're going to go out and we're going to try this, <laughs> you and me. And uh, I feel like within a, within five days, the skill set was just incredibly better with people like that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've heard really awesome, awesome and interesting things about Funny Farm. I've got, I know a handful of people that go every year um, or at least have been going in recent years. And it's always like, I always see the videos that come out of that, out of that event, like like the latest and greatest in flying, you know, it's just it always seems like it's uh, the coolest new things to be doing. You know, it's like the cutting edge. Um, Because, like, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't angles kind of start in Australia?
1: You know what? I've always asked that same question, and I don't know. Because I was talking to a couple of the guys from Voss, uh, and they they were kind of arguing that they were starting it in the tunnel. They were using more dynamic flying... You know actually moving in the sky in the tunnels uh and developing mm-hmm. that starting on their belly and then getting steeper and steeper and then that sort of came from there but that's the cool thing about the skydiving world is i'm sure you go back to like the early days of the pioneers of this stuff and now we're doing something similar mm-hmm. i mean you look at skyboarding um you know sky surfing it's kind of the same deal you know you angle forward and yeah. at speed it's just different right mm-hmm. And so I think um, I'd be happy enough to say that, you know, it'd be very hard to credit a single person to it, but I know that it's just getting better and better each year.
0: I mean, when you, when you look at what dynamic is in the tunnel these days, you know, and then you look at what what people in the big, like prominent groups are doing with angles, it's no longer just a straight shot or just a couple of turns. Now it's like transitions and switching and, and direction changes. And it's a very like angling outside in the, in the air is very much, um comparable to to what's happening with dynamic flyers in the tunnel you know like all the switches all the transitions all the direction changes like it's it's very similar it's only now we can just do it in bigger and bigger groups because you're outside
1: yeah and i love watching you know the wingsuits the small artistic wingsuits that are getting dynamic now too uh incredibly Mm -hmm. terrifying to me anyway (laughs) um but again another whole progression of something that almost felt like it should have never happened um you know getting mm-hmm. getting into the mainstream now um so look i i think i'm excited to see what happens and i just hope that we all progress as safely as we do um with the speed of <laughs> ingenuity here
0: um do you have any other hobbies besides skydiving like do you do anything outside yeah. of jumping for fun
1: yeah sure we, we i'm taking up flying um it just is a cool opportunity to learn something that i've always wanted to do so um i guess you call that a hobby mm. uh, for now uh, we have horses up here, um, in central Minnesota. So we try and ride a little bit, I guess I'm less nowadays, but, uh, still cool in our area that you can just saddle up the horse and, and ride down the road. And I like think I've shared with you before, one of the local bars here has a little hitching, hitching post for us. So a good, <laughs> to ride the horse down and hitch it up and have a beer and, and let the horse bring you home. Um, <laughs> still, still haven't worked out if it's a proper DUI or if that's all, all just talk. <laughs> i'll keep keep you posted as i find out
0: does a horse qualify as a vehicle i don't know if it it, qualifies as a vehicle these days
1: i I believe it does but um yeah i think as long as you're not being ridiculous it's okay but again it's it's something i think we skirt on the ground
0: (laughs) does the horse have to be drunk in this situation or do you have to be drunk in this situation (laughs) like oh which technically the horse is driving right in this scenario
1: Right. It'd be an argument I'm going to have with whatever trooper decides. To yeah. Come. Right. We've, we've got a large, large family up here. So as a lot of uh, a lot of sitting on benches, watching sport events and keeping ourselves entertained with whatever's going on here. So yeah, I wouldn't say too many hobbies, but uh, skydiving is definitely a good release that I still class as probably my number one like to do um, stress wise.
0: Can you talk a little bit more about flying airplanes for a minute? Like what is the goal there?
1: It's one of those things, just like skydiving, you know, I did it when I was little. Uh, whereas, you know, some family friends had a plane and took us flying, and you had the opportunity to get up in the air and do some things. And you kind of love it, but just ne- not in a position where you can justify the expense or the direction. Mm-hmm. And I guess now I just find myself in a situation moving back here uh, in the job that I'm in that I can, uh, I, t- I guess, technically afford it. And Uh, It's an opportunity to eventually be able to fly around and visit. Like I said, skydiving, flying down there and making an opportunity to, to spend a couple of hours down there rather than having to make an all day Mm -hmm. event. is pretty exciting. Um, I miss my friends in Omaha. I miss Lincoln sports parachute club down there and to be able to jump in a plane and less than two hours later, be, be there and hang out with them. uh, Amazing. I I miss friends in Denver and and, um, Montana and, I guess flying and especially being in a club, first of all, it's a great group, um, very, very different to skydivers, but again, very welcoming in the way that a group is. And uh, doing these pancake breakfasts flying in, it's really uh, it's a different mm-hmm. sense of community I haven't had in a while. For that too, if I can get around for my job a little bit faster too, it all banks up for a good opportunity. So. It's yeah. not, a, not a horrible thing to end up maybe in 10 years time with a commercial air license as well. That's uh, probably not a bad. That was going to
0: be my next question. <laughs> yeah. That was going to be my next question is if it was something you were looking to do for work.
1: Well, there's some incredible people like Ryan Reed and, uh, and Connor McCauley that, uh, you know, they're just, they're pilots. Uh, I don't know if you've heard that, but they're pretty, pretty big names out there. And, uh, so I think, uh, you know, they can take the opportunity to, to, um, Turn it into a career, great for them, but I just um taking a different path, I guess.
0: All right. Well, at least for the time being, right?
1: For the time being.
0: Do you have this? Is going kind of a it's a weird veering question off into left field. Like, do you have a one jump in particular that stands out, like as like a favorite or as the most memorable jump?
1: There is there is a number of very interesting jumps that I would definitely uh put up there, and I would say the first wingsuit jump was definitely memorable because you're in a straight jacket and uh, a friend of mine teaching me, uh, Jason um, is a wingsuit coach in Australia, decided to sign me up. He went through the course very professionally. I felt about as prepared as I could be, but launching out of the plane and and trying not to get stuck in the tail um, Mm -hmm. is definitely an experience. And I'm pretty sure I tucked up for the better part of four or 5,000 feet to make sure I missed the tail.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What kind of plane was that?
1: Uh, that was out of the caravan. I think that was out of the Cessna caravan that was up okay. visiting Sydney Skydivers. And it was up in Eldersley. Yep. And, uh, yeah, yeah, a nice nice plane to leave out of. Uh, other cool ones, I guess, like jumping out of the Beaver. Um, we had this thing when, you, when you're climbing out on this massive step and you're only two foot from a massive propeller sitting right in front of you. Yeah, The thing's humming and you're struggling to hold on. And you just, you're on the side with nine or seven or eight, nine other people. And you just you'll all launch together, and it's perfectly timed, and you're into that angle jump, and you're just right on each other's face, you know. You're right there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I just I have a few of those really clear memories from Eldersley and that's why it'll always hold a place in my heart there too. There's a, there's the memorable there's the memorable skydives for the wrong reasons too. Um, yeah. So I guess one of the one of the ones that I would like to share a, is down in Omaha um it was a series of things that went wrong all in the same day and it ended Mm -hmm. up it ended up i had an accident i wouldn't say it was the worst thing in the world but it was definitely an eye opener um so this was middle of summer and it was hot super hot all day and just coincidentally the night before in my my day job had had a bunch of problems and i hadn't slept and so then i turned up on a Saturday. And uh, there was supposed to be, you know, four or five tandems to knock out. And then that was that. And it ended up a bunch of walk-ins. And so there was like 14 or 15 to jump out of a, out of the 182. And, of course, okay. the packer had disappeared. So I was packing for myself as well. And then mm-hmm. I just managed to not eat through lunch, just, just getting busy and trying to do the right things. And then we get mm-hmm. to the end of the day, and then there was a jump into a baseball field. And so everyone was starting to turn up in the evening. So they were like, Hey, jump in. And there was everything telling me that I shouldn't do it mm-hmm. except my, I guess, sane part. And I was like, yeah, sure. Let's do it. Right. So we get up two planes of flying formation. We're in the first one. I'm one of the last ones out. And as we come through, it just, I'd been on the, on the receiving end of a lot of lofting thermals on the tandems all day. And I had a particularly bad second-last tandem where the guy had done everything he possibly could to ruin my day um, and his, oh. his and And uh, so that was still with me a little bit. And so as I came over the top of the trees, I kind of realized I was low and, uh, and punched it out. But then I was, I was coming in and um, ended up sliding into the baseball fence, the chain link fence on the outside of the field. Oh. And again, not a horrible thing, slid in with my feet, but I had my visor open and I managed to headbutt the metal bar around the outside of the field and cut my face open. And um, I I have the scars to prove it still from that. Um, But the biggest thing about, the biggest takeaway from that was just everything lined up just perfectly that I shouldn't have been there. Mm -hmm. And I will remember that jump as clearly and vividly for the rest of my life uh, in a good way Mm -hmm. because I don't, want to ever put myself in that spot again. I think I would say usually I'm fairly, fairly well planned. And that was just where the 10 things all lined up the same.
0: I've had similar experiences like that before. You know, there's one that sticks out in my mind in particular. Uh, we don't have to get into it, but but I think like the the takeaway from all this is like it's hard when you're in the moment and especially when you're at certain points in your skydiving career, you know when you're not necessarily complacent, but when you're not necessarily thinking about safety as often as you, you have in other points of your your career, you see the signs, you see the warning signs like one after another after another. And because you're in a weird headspace or because it's just a weird day, you maybe don't necessarily register them you know in right. the same way that you normally would and so sometimes situations like this just build up and build up and build up and then you have something like this like something like this um be the outcome that's probably something we don't really think about very often we don't really like especially in such a sport in like a sport like this where it's just like go 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 all the time you know yeah and we're we're pushed to 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 constantly keep working and constantly keep um staying up to par you know it's it's not always easy to like take moments to like really evaluate what's happening, you know?
1: Yeah, I I feel the same with gratefulness. And that's something that I really appreciate more now in being able to come down and support and help tandems whenever rather than have to do it Mm -hmm. as a livelihood. Um, I do remember a few years ago, uh, it was one of those things, just like you talked about, things were lining up, right? I had the one jump Mm -hmm. off. It was time. Like I could leave the tandems for a second and I was going to get a wingsuit jump with a new guy. And I wasn't super confident with his skills. I wasn't super confident that he had it all. And I was, I was stressed and it was hot. And all of these things lined up. And I just, Ryan Reed actually had his GoPro out and filmed the moment. And I'm yelling at all the people at the other end of the plane because they're not moving down and they're not making space. So then I can't check this mm-hmm. guy to make sure his wingsuit's on right. And I'm paranoid about it. Yeah. And I don't think I've got enough time. And so there I am being a complete dick about it to everyone there
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it's like I remember looking at that video and watching myself thinking who are you like who are you to be able to talk to anyone like that right and, and I, I can mm-hmm. again I understand where I was at the time but that's just not a way to be and it's not a way to live and you should have recognized the science should have recognized it early is this the right time mm-hmm. give it give it more time before you get on the plane to check this kid right And so getting down there now, it's great. I feel like I can walk in there and just genuinely spread love through the whole area. Um, And it's not draining as in the way it it fills my cup internally and I'm hoping it fills everyone Mm -hmm. else around me, but then I can go and recharge and I might not see you guys for a few weeks. So it's like, Mm -hmm. it's the best of both worlds. And I, I really have been trying to appreciate that piece more. Um, It's, it's definitely a sanctuary to recharge and when you start turning it into a i have to go faster i have to get this formation i have to develop yeah. this thing it's pretty easy to get into a bad mental state and then that leads mm-hmm. to all the other bad stuff too
0: that is something that i learned i need at like this last summer um where i was getting frustrated uh being on the drop zone 24 7. you know and i needed to find some sort of like outlet you know, to not let it start affecting my work. Um, and it, for me, what it was is like trying really hard to reconnect with people who I didn't see very often. So like non-skydivers, um, skydivers that like maybe just weren't out at the drop zone as, as often, like just kind of disconnecting from that everyday life so that I had the ability to kind of, you know, recharge and set, set some like official time away from from the stuff. Like,
1: yeah, you know. absolutely. And I guess you know, one of the questions we talked about was like, you know, coaching and things like that. One of my favorite coaching jumps was with a guy, Larry. Um, I don't think you remember Larry. Uh, he moved out to Virginia Beach. Um, so, Oh, Larry uh, he,
0: Keebler. Larry Keebler. Keebler. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. One of my favorite, very, very favorite coaching jumps was with, with, with Larry. We're in the plane, and he's just so determined to get it right. And he's just so focused on the jump. So we get into the plane. We're in the door, and he's like, okay, so... You want me to exit like this? And I'm like, no, I want you to do a double front (laughs) flip into a back flip. And he's like, what? I'm like, I want you to just (laughs) face that way and just tuck and just roll. And if it doesn't work out, just that's fine. And I just remember the look on his face. He's like, what do you mean? We have to have a plan. We have to do this. And I'm like, enjoy it, (laughs) dude. And we jumped and it was just a kind of a shit show but not really like we still did what (laughs) we needed to do and we got down and he was so pumped and that made me more pumped and I was just I just remember that too as one of those you know what just get out of your own head and enjoy this because that's what it's supposed to be about I I know that he appreciated that and that's one of those things of giving back that I think um, you know it's the same thing with tandems for me Uh, a lot of people get frustrated with with doing tandems but what point so you get to share a once in a lifetime experience with some of these people and really let mm-hmm. them enjoy it to the fullest? And I like, yeah, you know, Bland and Breezy, great examples of that. And Kerry as well, Kelly, Carrie McCauley, they're in there entertaining. And I think there's a lost mm-hmm. art of entertaining as well as you're supposed to say stupid crap. Like you're supposed to, it's supposed yep. to be like a ride and you're supposed to get outside of their head and to enjoy it. And I really, I try and take a lot from those people and, and watching what they do and, and really learn it. And if it's mm-hmm. the most inappropriate off-color joke that fits the mood, <laughs> so be it, you know, <laughs> I'm sure I don't get very many of them, right. But um, at least the ones that I do, <laughs> I feel like the, the customer appreciates it and it turns it into a whole different experience of what it could have been.
0: I admire that ability to, to keep that, that constantly switched on, you know, that entertainment factor. Um, I feel like it's like 60, 40 for me, like 60, I would even say like 60 to 70% of the time. Like I've got that, like that switched on, you know, where it's very much about the entertainment. It's very much about like cracking jokes and, and like entertaining the students. And then, there's probably like 30% of my days or 30% of my jumps where it's like, I just, I'm tired or or I'm frustrated because of something else, not specifically about the person itself, you know, or like the person on the jump, but for whatever reason, I'm just frustrated or like distracted and I don't give it a hundred percent. So I admire that like ability, like Blaine, you're right. Blaine is like absolutely one of those people. Carrie is absolutely one of those people um, who can just like turn it on and it just keeps going. And there's, no fault whatsoever like there's no like crack in the in the veneer like whatsoever they just they deliver a hundred percent i don't know i don't know like do you think it's a personality thing or do you think it's something people practice and they get really good at
1: i think it's both i think um you know people are naturally more extroverted introverted whatever it is but it's just knowing and timing and practice but i I still think the biggest thing about you is the team around you. you know, mm-hmm. if you've got a miserable packer and they're in on the floor and they're just, they're just horrible, every time they go in there, there's a complaint or whatever else, it does drag you down, right? If if mm-hmm. things aren't quite flowing and it's really clunky and manifest and whatever else it is, it's just that drags you down. And I think all these one percenters end up, you know, just mm-hmm. making everyone miserable. Um, you know, yeah. I, some of my great uh, – I, I know Winstead was a great example out there is, is in um, – when twin cities bought that it was hard for some people to get in a routine but actually we had mm-hmm. when, we, when we had three of us out there rolling tandems and the system was perfect it was there was no better place to be you know you were basically mm-hmm. reaching for the wrench as you needed it that's the metaphor i use but it's
2: yeah the,
1: your customer was briefed and ready to go and you knew exactly what they were told and they went over there and you had time to enjoy their company on the ride up and you could jump and really share that moment with them and get down. And nothing was ever rushed. And you could knock out 15 to 18 jumps in a day, effortless. Mm-hmm. And that was wholeheartedly to the people that were around you. Um, down in Nebraska, same deal. Uh, Greg Heidek down there, uh, I did a lot of tandems with him as, as buddying up with him. And he was great. He very professional the whole time. And he kept me on time. He kept me more professional than I than I would have been probably otherwise, and uh, you know it's a real mm-hmm. credit because I, I think he he ended up making me a better TI than I probably otherwise would have been.
0: I mean I have those days too. Like I I can think back to like where it was super awesome, where I was learning constantly and I was being uplifted by the the instructors around me. Like I was I was being lifted up as, as kind of one of the new jump or the new instructors and really being taken under people's wing. Like I think, I think my favorite year of like working with a team was probably the first year you got, you were out there because that was the first year Noel and Andreas were out there. That was the first year of Blaine and Breezy. Like that team, that year is 2016, I think.
2: Sure.
0: Yeah. 2016. Yeah. um, That was the year I every, like everyone new came in, in from out of town, you know, it was like the big transition year, but it was such a great group of people because everyone was fresh. Everybody was really excited to be there. Like, you got everyone; just was super pumped. People were getting ratings that they didn't have before, like Noel was getting her tandem rating that year. Andreas was getting his AFF rating that year. Like everyone was really stoked and excited to be there. You know, um, I don't know. That was that's just a that's a year that really stands out in my mind. Is like the the tone of your work changes with the people that you have around you. Like that was such a great year in terms of like teamwork and compatibility amongst the right. instructors. You know,
1: right. and it was. Yeah, it wasn't as much burnout and stuff too. I, I do notice, like even the season, mm-hmm. you know, and and the weather affects everyone too. You know, a bad year will will get everyone yeah. the edge, and you know, it just there is a lot of lot of levers to pull to get everything to come together. And you're right, that was a that was a mm-hmm. great year. Um, you know, at the same time, that was the year that uh, you know where Polly was pregnant with Jack, and and that was the first time I was going to be a, a you know biological dad, and you know, there was a lot of things mm-hmm. that year that I guess, um, Scott having helped to, to almost distract me from a little bit as well. So, uh, yeah, yeah great opportunities to remember good things.
0: So you have instructor ratings, right?
1: Yeah. I never did. I a- um, AFF because I just didn't feel like I was consistent enough. I do have all my other ratings. Uh, I got static line mm-hmm. and coach rating and everything else, uh, wingsuit. Um, you know, everything TI, but. Yeah, I guess um, Jack of All Trades, Master of None would probably have come to mind pretty well.
0: Yeah. Renaissance man, right? Yeah, Are right. <laughs> uh, what made you want to get your tandem reading?
1: I think that whole, the whole piece of being able to take people along, you know, take friends and loved ones and, and show them that experience. What a, what a cool opportunity. Um, it just so hit mm. that the timing of being out here and um, again, not technically being able to work but being able to do courses, well, it was great. You know, like there was a good chance to, to do it. Um, and Mike Watkins um, really took that too. I did the coach course with him and he actually promoted mm-hmm. me to do it. I, I wasn't, I was thinking I was gonna wait and he's like, why wait? You give me the reasons, you know, like what, why would you wait? And um, I couldn't come up with anything and he couldn't, And also had justified and went through his course and he really helped me and uh, you know, he even got me linked up with a group down in Texas to go and do my first sort of 150 jumps down there and uh, mm-hmm. awesome experience down there in Have Lone Star with some pretty amazing people. And it just shows how much of a small world it is because Patrick down there um, ends up being Angela's brother uh, from mm-hmm. Twin Cities. So mm-hmm. everyone seems to know everyone. And uh, yeah, just yeah. cool to have that support while you're in a strange town in the middle of a strange state.
0: Mike Watkins did exactly the same thing to me about my AFF rating. Yeah, <laughs> where he was like, "Why wait? Why even bother? Like two days before his course started, I signed up for it. I was like, "Fuck it, why not?" Right? He made <laughs> like, money. Let's go. You made money. Yeah, yeah. Did you? Okay, so so honest question. Like when before you got your before you got your tandem rating before you went through the course, did you have to do any kind of like training prep for it at all? Like any physical stuff? Any uh, you know, like, I think everyone in their mother knows how much, like, w- you know, book work goes into a, into a rating or maybe, maybe they don't, but there's, there's quite a lot of it. Um, But beyond that, did you have to do anything else training wise to get like prepared for your getting your ratings?
1: No, I was a little paranoid that I wasn't, you know, that I was going to have to do a bunch of pull-ups and everything else, which is effectively what you're <laughs> pulling down on the rises, you know, on the, on the, on the toggles. Mm-hmm. So I did some prep work. I made sure I went in there not completely useless. Um, but yeah. yeah, during the course, I had to do all my conversions too from Australia over here. So I had to do my A, B, C and D license all in one written go. So um, I'm pretty sure I nearly failed my C license, thinking back on it. Um, because we're doing them in quick successions and I was like, I was rushing a little bit more than I should have. Oh yeah, I got this. And I think, I think it was only touch and go on that one um but but yeah the prep work i think it's it's mostly mental so we drove down to alabama my wife and i jumped in a car and drove all the way down there um on fairly short notice and stayed in a kind of random place and um that, that was kind of funny because it was february i think and so when we were driving back we we wanted to get back so we were driving through the night and there was a big winter storm and you know we're halfway through wisconsin tucked in behind a truck and I kind of hadn't slept in a long time and my wife was half asleep in the passenger seat and she kind of wakes up and says, you know, I hate how you drive and then just promptly goes back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and this was like just after <laughs> I'd finished my rating and driven straight back from Alabama to Minnesota. And well, the anger got me through the last three, four hours of the drive. So,
0: <laughs> Did you like intentionally hit the rumble strips after all that? <laughs>
1: you know what? I wasn't, <laughs> drunk, but I should have. Yeah, <laughs> but no, the prep, I think, I think the prep work, a lot of it is when, when you go through the course, you kind of realize where you're at in your career as well. You know, it's like,
2: yeah,
1: it's like wingsuiting, right? Everyone says they want to up to jumps, but I went in there with a bunch of angles under my belt before I went wingsuiting and it was just infinitely easier, you know? And that's where mm-hmm. I think a lot of this stuff too, is, you know, when I knew I wanted to do my tandem rating, I was watching a lot of people, I was listening, talking, before that I was filming a lot of tandem so you're kind of in the right mindset to get it right.
0: yeah um, what's your favorite thing about being an instructor?
1: The power no just kidding um, <laughs> I think <laughs> <The bad. laughs> yeah. no I, I don't know I like um, you know I like being as a, as a peer with other instructors um, I, I feel like you know people they do treat you a little differently. And I feel like you can ask better questions of other instructors, you know, and, and they'll answer you honestly. Whereas I feel like if you don't have the rating, a lot of the time, they're not quite as open about stuff. Um, that's just talking to people across the world, I guess, too. Um, when you can mm-hmm. tell someone, yeah, I've done a couple of thousand tandems um, or whatever it might be, I guess that that just, it, it break down, breaks down a lot of barriers and it enables people to sort of talk to you a little easier. Um, you know, you could have had Two thousand terrible tandems but people still act like you've actually some <laughs> sense about you but i, yeah, I like that I but the biggest part about it is i just love sharing that experience I, I alluded to it earlier but it's just taking someone on a ride that they've never been on and may never go on again and just being able to share that mm-hmm. when the parachute opens and being able to genuinely see people you know like see them mm-hmm. for who they are and and you really get yeah. a look into their soul and i I think that is completely underrated. If you're not looking for it, you won't see it. Um, But man, people are honest. You know, people are, are, you you truly know if they enjoyed themselves or didn't. You truly know if they, Mm -hmm. if if they are into this extreme sport or they've been talking crap to their friends to try and act tough. Love it.
0: Oh yeah. Yep. Love it. It's super obvious.
1: One of of the funniest (laughs) ones was a, a lady from Minnesota. She Very well-spoken, very prim and proper and posh. And then when the parachute Mm -hmm. opened, she said to me, you guys be crazy. And she just went completely like, (laughs) and it was just a real honest moment. And when we got down, she said, look, that's not me and whatever else. I'm like, no, I thought that was awesome. That was just a a real (laughs) true true moment that you and I shared that no one else needs to know about, except for everyone listening to this podcast.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Now, (laughs) yeah.
1: But like moments like that are just completely underrated. They're underrated for, for just human interactions with people that you don't get, you just don't get it anywhere. Mm -hmm. Maybe nurses get it in hospitals. Maybe like, you know, people get it in certain ultimate situations, but we get to experience it regularly.
0: 12, 12 to 15 times a day with different (laughs) people, you know?
1: Right. Right.
0: Roughly, roughly. Um, What's your, do you have a favorite kind of student to jump with?
1: as in like a tandem student sure yeah yeah i i think i think so it's usually just the ones that are there to have fun with either like just one or two other people there they're there to experience the moment sometimes when you get big groups and they're all kind of giving each other crap you know it it's fine but you can kind of see that there's people aren't being kind of as kind as they probably should some of that's enjoyable Mm -hmm. in a way but it's the ones that are out there that are like, hey i'm terrified um my friend talked me into this but she's here with me or he's here with me we're gonna do this and they pump themselves up and they're terrified but they do it anyway and they get down and they just are relaxed and so content and then they tip really Mm -hmm. well (laughs) yeah (laughs) right
0: i i think i enjoy the ones who ask, like, genuine questions. I think the people that come in who you can tell they're excited to be there. You can tell, like, this is very much something that they've been wanting to do for a long time. But then they sit and ask you legitimate, genuine questions about what it is we're, we're about to go do. I don't know. There's just something about those people, like, there's something really real and authentic about that. I, I like I like people who, who demonstrate, like, curiosity, you know, right off the bat. They exactly. don't let the fear, like, kind of get in the way of, like... Bringing in new information, like those are the people that you can get hook, line, and sinker into something like this. Right, you know, like you can tell those ones are the ones that have the potential to do this as a, as like a, a hobby.
1: Right. You know, right. We had uh, the other ones that I guess like they're, they're the few and far between. But I had one, one ten and one time, and she was terrified. Like she did not want to be there, and she'd kind of been forced into it. And we're on the Cessna, so there was only there was only her and another random stranger. And as we took off, she started screaming and she screamed at the top of <laughs> her lungs for like 4,000, 5,000 feet. And like the pilot's looking at me like, do we need to land this thing? And we talked and we genuinely talked. Like, I feel like I haven't been that close to anyone in a long time. We talked about mm-hmm. fears and she was explaining why she was so scared and everything else. And we overcame this little hump and then she was excited mm-hmm. and then we jumped. And then at the end of it, she actually waited around for a couple of hours and came back and said, I didn't think I could do this. And we did. And we did it together. And I'm like, God, you know, if that doesn't just make your heart swell 10 times, I don't know what does. Like that <laughs> that to me is like, you know, overcoming adversity together with a random stranger that's probably going to bond you together forever. Mm-hmm. You know? And I'm i to yeah. never see that person again. Um, but if I did, I'm pretty sure yeah. they're going to remember me and I'm going to remember them
0: well i mean that brings us that brings me into the next question here like this is a question like that i kind of formulated specifically for you because you're genuinely like i'm I'm about to explain it (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) there's honestly not a lot of instructors out there that demonstrate the the genuine like eagerness to do this job that you do and for whatever for whatever reason you've got like this genuine excitement to do this job maybe it's because you're not here 24 7 maybe it's because you're not burned out maybe it's because you have like that time to reset but for whatever reason you have it right and so this question if i were to ask any other instructor out there they'd probably just like whatever you know like blow me off but honestly like as someone who seems like they're they're only ever looking to improve like where do you think as as a collective that we fall short as instructors like what can we be doing differently to better ourselves as a community or as a as a group of people
1: it's situational a really great coach once told me is like in a sporting team not everyone's going to have their best game that day and one of the biggest things mm-hmm. we've got to do is recognize as a team where people are short and where they need support, where someone needs to be lifted that day and someone needs to come back and lift others. And I think that's as much as we feel like we're individuals when we're doing something like tandems out of a bigger Cessna, like out of a caravan, we're mm-hmm. a team. We're absolutely a team. And that's where like I feel the strongest. You know, I played team sports yeah. for the better part of like thirty years and I just I thrive on it. So when you're looking at someone that is down or frustrated or whatever else, if you can get a smile out of them and and you can bring them up a couple of notches or just get mm-hmm. them out of that funk, that's where it changes a million times. I will try my very best to acknowledge the pilot when I'm leaving. That doesn't seem like much, but for someone that's mm-hmm. sitting in there not being acknowledged for you know hours at a time, it yeah. could be getting directions. To do a, you're doing great and I appreciate you. It, They might not care, but the ones that do, I know really care. And so I think where we fall short is we get caught in our own egos when it's like, Hey, here's a new kid. And I don't really want to have to go through this whole crap show of jumping with them and making mistakes or whatever else. It's like, pull your head out. Right? Like we're all going to take a time to, to support each other. And I've seen some of the people coming through that I thought were going to be great team members turn out to be the opposite. And I've seen the people that I thought weren't going to make it really spend time with new students as they're developing their own skills and they're coaching and they're patient and passionate. And I'm wrong. I'm wrong 99% of the time with people. Um, and I'm, I'm realizing that more and more. But what it just shows me is that, you know, I just, you got to listen when people are asking you for stuff and help, whether that's a student, a tandem, a person that's doing manifests. You know, I, I think that's what I really try and try and uh, show my appreciation or at least do something for manifest because it is a thankless job in most cases. And if you can make yeah. their job 1% better for one minute of the day, it can go a long way. And so I don't know that having, that,
0: having more compassion.
1: Yeah. But again, it's not, that doesn't mean, Hey, I'm going to go about and be nice to people. People need to deserve it. <laughs> people. People need to. To deserve the compassion that you give and then you know again when people do certain things it disgusts me and it makes me not want to you know help them but at the same time Mm -hmm. not helping it makes the situation worse and it spirals down so sometimes it's up and suck it up and do it right you know i think i've i've seen it i've seen it from the best people people way better than me have just taught me this right i'm not this guy that's just worked this out on my own i just take what i observe see what works and then mm-hmm. steal people's ideas and then come on podcasts and claim that they were my own so i screwed up there
0: <laughs> i mean that is uh that's something that we like that i learned a lot about at the at the tunnel you know like this idea of teamwork like it's a team to run efficiently like it was all about time saving tactics there it was all about moving efficiently how can you help each other like be as quick as possible or like make sure everything is on time so that we don't get behind or whatever. Right. It was very much centered around that idea of like time efficiency. Um, But really what it was is like honing, and pushing you guys to like pick up the slack for people when they're having bad days or when we suddenly get behind because of X, Y, and Z, you know, factors that we can't control. Like how do we pick each other up and how do we push, keep pushing each other forward? Um, even when you don't really want to, even when you're having a bad day, even when you can't stand who you're working with, like, right. what can you do to keep, to keep pushing forward? Right. Cause it, it ultimately makes everybody's day better. You're, you're totally right. Like not enough, in my opinion, there's, there's a, a lack of teamwork sometimes as instructors, you know, we're very, we have a tendency to be really single-minded and like only worried about ourselves and not necessarily worried about each other as a collective whole. Um, I'm not saying that that's not like, that's the, the tone every single day, but sometimes we get caught up in that cycle of yeah. Um, yeah. just being super, super narrow-minded or myopic about what's going on in the day. Um, but that's like super good advice, you know? If you can help people out it makes your day better it makes their day better suddenly things are turning around and looking better for everybody like
1: yeah yeah definitely
0: some weight to that
1: yeah i know i'm uh, when i when i turn up um, to twin cities there occasionally i know i know i'm being obnoxious and it's overly obnoxious in a way um <laughs> but i would rather be too far on that end because um you know it is contagious and, it, and it's it's something that um i think makes you a better person and I wish that I was more like that, more often, in more things. So, mm-hmm. hey, what do you do? You you work towards it, right?
0: I, I mean, all I know is sometimes you show up during the day, and I'm like, God damn it, Bert's here. Now I have to put a smile on my fucking face. <laughs> like, what kind of advice do you have for any other skydivers who are looking to get their instructional readings?
1: Listen and look and watch, because like I mean, there is there is things that people do that will make your life <laughs> infinitely easier if you understand what they're doing, I used to tighten my chest strap up on my tandems mm-hmm. super tight. And then one of the guys yeah. didn't have as many, as many jumps as me. He's like, what are you doing? It's like, that's going to whack you in the ears each time. I'm like, what do you mean? And he explained mm-hmm. it to me. He's like, well, your, your tandem is your chest strap. So just loosen it up. And it made my jumps infinitely better. And the first hundred or whatever jumps I did were miserable because I mm-hmm. wasn't really listening or understanding. Um, You know, there's, there's military guys that will explain packing immensely better than anyone else. There is, mm-hmm. um, there is people that will, will work on breathing techniques for your students. So if they start to panic, they'll show you what to do, you know? And so I think mm-hmm. all of these things are completely undervalued of thinking about becoming an instructor. That's the stuff that I would be looking mm-hmm. at before it's what time to pull your emergency procedures. You'll learn that in the course. It's the other stuff that surrounds okay. it that I feel is important.
0: Okay, so eyes open, ask questions, mm-hmm. right?
1: Right, Observe
0: as much as you can. Yeah. All right. Um, so then to, to switch it just a little bit, imagine you're talking to your younger jumper self, okay? Just for a minute, you're looking at him dead in the eyes. It's a, it's a serious, serious situation. What kind of advice would you give yourself if you could? you know 10 15 years ago
1: i think the first of all like don't underplay what you're going through i i got, was so lucky to see so many amazing things like being in the icarus factory and and i don't think i ever really appreciated it as much as i, I should have i look back on that stuff you know some of these guys from the voss tunnel were just incredibly ahead of their time in how they were training and what they were doing and they were kind of like, hey, let's go jump. And then we just never really did. You know, we just got busy. And I'm like, idiot. <laughs> you should have, like, <laughs> taken that opportunity when you could. And, um, you know, I guess things like that are, are, are just so critical. And then you've got, mm-hmm. you know, another, another piece of advice I'm learning as I'm getting older too is, uh, you know, alcohol is a thief a lot of the time. And in a lot of my experiences at some of these boogies, uh, you know, the partying got caught. Instead of the the real experiences with people, so that that what I mean mm-hmm. by that is like, hey, sticking around at the bar at two in the morning and drinking is fine, but you're not going to remember it as much as the the eight a.m. angle with fifteen of the world's best flyers, right? Like mm-hmm. that's that's a priority there, um, and just to to realize that earlier on, I feel I would have been better as a skydiver because of it.
0: What are your future goals for skydiving? Do you have any? Uh, Is there anything in particular you want to chase?
1: Yeah, I want to, I do want to do more wingsuiting. I, I want to do some more like flock wingsuiting. I, I really enjoy the time I get with people in the sky in a wingsuit doing cool stuff. Um, I don't mm-hmm. feel comfortable and confident with the people that have been around me just because I don't know them very well and I don't know how they fly and I don't, I feel like I'm inconveniencing them when I, when I fly, when mm-hmm. I ask them to come and fly. Um, and then also matching suits and weights and everything else is kind of hard. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I had, uh, Paul Tiki Munro. I, I don't even know if that's, it's been a few years. He was the same height weight, had the same suit when I was first started wingsuiting and to fly with him was amazing. He was way more talented than me as well. And so I really enjoyed that time. Then he moved away and I stopped. So to get some experiences in, in wingsuiting again, I I think that's definitely at the top of my list. Yeah. I want to continue to do tandems. I want to continue to coach and do tandems. I think that's, that's now a pretty big part of my life. And if I'm not doing a couple of hundred a year, I think I'm I'm probably falling behind.
0: No, that's, I mean, that's also fair. Like after having uh, left, you know, the full-time gig for about three years to go to the tunnel, like coming back to the, to the full-time game of, of a, tandem like tandems and AFF and stuff like man I was never more current than I was in 2018 when I made that switch and it's and it's a uh, frustrating feeling like I'm having to like get back to where I was and you know stay on top of all of it like I definitely feel you like staying current with this kind of stuff if you're going to keep doing it is super super important man
2: right super Agreed. important
0: All right so this is kind of a modified, like, would you rather game? Gotcha. Okay. That's what, it's kind of, a, kind of a modified would you rather. Okay. um, Some of this has to do with instructional stuff. Some of it just has to do with, you know, everyday skydiving stuff. And then a couple of them aren't necessarily would you rather versus just, you know, kind of weird questions. Go. Sound good? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. First one. As a tandem instructor, would you rather get puked or peed on?
1: Mm. I'm going to have puked on because I got my visor.
0: I got puked on in the face this year. So it's totally possible.
1: (laughs) Right in the mouth. I love it. In
0: the face. In in the helmet. (laughs) So if
1: if the choice is peed on the leg or puke inside the helmet visor, I'm gonna go pee then. There we go. Change my answer. Final answer, lock it in.
0: After after having been puked on in the face on a skydive with a full face helmet, uh I would absolutely pick Pete, Pete Pete on every single time.
1: I'd rather be thrown up than getting those big snot rockets that come across your visor and you have to watch go from like your nose all the way to your forehead. It's like, and it goes super slow. Right? And then yeah. Big loogies. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Sometimes, sometimes when you're in free fall too, you get hit and suddenly everything's blurry. <laughs> you're just like, Oh, what
1: the-, what the heck was that?
0: What the heck was that?
1: Best not to ask questions.
0: That's why you have a full face helmet. That's why you have a snot shield. Right. That,
1: that's why I do, yeah. Okay. Uh,
0: as an instructor, would you rather fly an Icarus tandem canopy or a Sigma tandem canopy?
1: Um, I am a little biased towards the Icaruses, but uh, the Sigmas fly pretty well as well. So I would say I will fly uh, Icarus all day. Um, but in the truth of it, I would pretty much happily take either.
0: Yeah, that's fair. The Icaruses are sporty, but the Sigma's got so much power right. on the bottom end. Right. Like...
1: And so that's like, on, a, on a windy day, I think I'd rather, you know, I'd rather with the with the Sigma just, you know, just for that extra little bit of bottom end.
0: All right. Would you rather jump in the rain or in high winds?
1: I think I'd rather jump in the high winds. I, I don't mind the higher wind because I'm a little heavier loaded and I can get away with some stuff. It's um, mm-hmm. just miserable in the rain, you know, just getting it. Yeah. I especially feel worse for the tandem instructor, for the tandem student that's getting – whipped in the face. We had an experience like that. And I always feel like you got to throw your arms in front of them and it just makes the whole thing not go so great. Um, which then leads to more, I think problems. Um, you know, again, but then again, straight line winds versus gusty winds. Um, I'll take rain any day.
0: What is your preferred plane to work out of? And I'm going to take Otter off the table because that's everybody's answer. So we're taking the twin otter off the table. What is your preferred plane to work out of?
1: I would rather the caravan out over the um, over the otter, to be honest. Um, I just really, yeah, I just think it's it's fine. Like it just depends on what it is. I really enjoyed jumping out of the King Air just because of how fast it was, and I had a great pilot at the mm-hmm. time. So I would sit on the floor at the back, and he would pretty much just stand me up under my feet right at the jump time. So we had a
2: great-
1: <laughs> and and he would just yeah kick me and my tandem up from sitting on the floor until standing and then straight out the door but the door was small um we had a fletcher we jumped out of that was the worst i think small door skinny long plane. <laughs> uh i would say that was probably mm-hmm. one of the least um to be honest with you as long as you're you're kind of there i don't mind the small planes there's a 206 uh, with a roller door, we had that was that was kind of nice, nice big roller door, and you could just lay on your side and kind of roll out. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was sort of fun to to jump out of as well. The Beaver was great just because it had a massive door, and you could just stand on this mm-hmm. huge platform and just launch your way out. But I would I would have to say I, I like the Cessna Caravan probably the most.
0: Yeah, have you ever worked out of a um out of a Skyvan?
1: Not for tandems, but I can imagine that would be a heck of a good time.
0: It's great. I don't even bother teaching them to arch because, like, drop your legs. I don't care. We'll come out of the plane nice and stable. Right. <laughs> it doesn't even matter. It's
1: like a running gainer, or something. yeah, I can see that. No, that would be.
0: Um, would you rather jump in cold or hot weather?
1: I like cooler weather. I like uh, I like being a little bit able to rug up, but I just don't like my feet and hands being cold. So as long as it doesn't get to that freezing mm-hmm. temperature, uh, I'm all good with it. Yeah, hot, hot weather, you know, it gets it gets muggy and it gets miserable middle of February as uh, sorry, middle of um, July. Yeah, there's moments. There's moments that I kind of wish I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I guess days are days, right? Like the hot days, usually when it's cooler in the afternoons, it's fantastic. Winter days when during that middle part of the day when it's warmed up a little bit, you can really appreciate it. It's fantastic. Yeah, but I would say colder weather.
0: Seventy degrees.
1: Yeah, there it is.
0: Seventy degrees on the ground. You know, that's kind of like perfect. It's like a perfect day.
1: Yeah, sweet spot.
0: All right, last. Uh, would you? Or last question. Last question. What is your favorite joke to use on tandem students?
1: Oh, I think it's always.
0: Not not even your favorite, but what's the one you use the most often?
1: Most often, um, why don't blind people like skydiving? Because it scares the crap out of their dog. <laughs> still still a classic um, I, I don't know I, I, there's there's a whole bunch of ones that, but I always get feel I get put to shame with a bunch of people like Blaine um on the plane like they yeah. they just have a knack, and I feel like I'm always outclassed, but that one always gets at least a as yeah. the funniest part is just playing off people, playing off their fears and whatever it is, and you can usually make sarcastic mm-hmm. jokes like um you know lame things like how high are we?" oh, I'm not high, I came down ages ago. You know, like, stuff like yeah. this is still, it's subtle enough that if they don't get it, they're not going to get it and am gone. But it's still, yeah. f- they catch it, you know. So, that to mm-hmm. be like, is a classic.
0: So that is all we have for this episode of Fall Risk. Massive thank you to Mr. Burt Taylor for taking time out of his day to entertain us all on this podcast episode. It's very, very kind of you, sir. Thank you so much.
2: I
1: appreciate being here. It's uh, it's cool to be able to voice some some silly stories and, and share what I've at least what I've stolen from other people.
0: <laughs> mission mission accomplished. I like it. All right. Well that being said, I will see you guys on the next episode of Fall Risk. Blue Skies. Have a good night. Peace.